Hello and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 241 for August 29th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing salt water that compromises EV batteries. Makes sense, there's a hurricane coming for Florida. You mean like a dishwasher? A massive botnet shutdown? But sushi is the rice. Toto totally made more. Copyright office is listening, maybe. Subway takes to the Skyway. Panic at the showcase. Fast food is too expensive to ignore marketing. Hugging trees instead of neighbors. iFixit tears down McDonald's ice cream machine. And Airbnb cancellations. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And tonight we've already got 12 articles all ready to go. So we're going to get right on into it. I might just plow through today um, real quick, make it a short evening. Um, let's let's get let's get right into it. Uh, very first article is over at hometown daily. It's a channel as well as this show. And uh, Florida residents told to move electric cars before Idalia hits. This is kind of interesting because you wouldn't really pay much attention to this with an internal combustion engine. Um, but apparently there's some additional context that people need to know about electric cars. Matthew Impelli over at Newsweek.com put this article together. There's a video that talks about the quote-unquote nasty impacts from Tropical Storm Idalia, which is, I think, Category 2 now. I don't know if that counts as a tropical storm. I think it is Category 2. But anyway, uh, the, the statement here in this article is, we saw a number of fires associated with EVs from Hurricane Ian. We know that the salt water from storm surge can compromise these batteries, causing fires which cannot be easily suppressed. The best fire teams can do is to keep water on the battery until the fuel burns out. That's a lithium issue. If you're evacuating and leaving an EV or other lithium ion powered uh, devices like scooters or golf carts in your garage, you're creating a real fire threat for your home, your communities and first responders. So here's adding fuel to the fire that EVs, are going to be bad for the future. Well, actually, I think that they're just fine. We just need to better protect them from the elements, kind of like a gas station protects its tanks or cars protect its tanks from um, gasoline. We work around it. We figure out what it is. But I, I am telling you now that somebody's going to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, EVs, when they get, uh, moist, they become threats. Well, it's actually in salt water. It's probably, and I haven't done a deep dive into this thing. Um, because I, <laughs> to me, I'm like, well, it just needs to not get salt water all over it. Um, but I'm not sure what the ramifications of this are, but if it's shorting out, then it has the potential to catch fire. If it shorts out, uh, long enough, then it can overheat and, and, set itself on fire um so which obviously it's a bad thing so probably want to pull it out of the garage uh, but regardless it's going to pose a, a potential fire threat 
should all of the water not be enough to keep the fire suppressed the thing will be be a raging inferno for its entire duration until the lithium burns through um, which means it can set on trees on fire and other debris that might be flying around during a hurricane um, it says here, following Ian, Hurricane Ian, a Category 5 storm that impacted the state last September, Patronus told ABC News that flooding incidents from Ian caused at least nine electric vehicle fires. So it's significant enough um, that at least the engineer should be paying attention to what's going on with um, EVs during and post-storm um, as uh, salt water kind of insinuates itself into the compartments um, where the contacts are. So I guess we're going to have to make them stronger, folks. We can't have fires. Uh, did the same thing with uh, gas tanks over the years, made, made, making them more robust and uh, protected within crumple zones and uh, fuel additives that mitigate, you know, spontaneous combustion from the gas fumes and filters and whatnot. I mean, we worked around it because we evolve our technology. That said, let's get on to the next article. Um, the uh, next article is over in Technology Today. How long until a robot is doing your dishes? I titled this segment, you mean like a dishwasher? Um, advances in AI are accelerating the development of humanoid robots. So is this really an argument about maybe a robot walking over and doing your dishes? Because that might be the epitome of human laziness. Um, but, but let's see what this article has to say. I'm going to go over to, I'm going to throw the articles into chat first, but then I'm going to go over to the article itself. It's over at BBC News, uh, but it's bbc.com. And let me see if I can find the author of this, Ben Morris. Um, they are all chunky markets, but in the coming decades, a new product will be rolled out that will dwarf those giants, says Jordy Rose, the chief executive of Sanctuary AI. <laughs> so they talk about, imagine the biggest markets for a physical product you can. Are you thinking of mobile phones, cars, property? The Vancouver-based firm is developing a humanoid robot called Phoenix, which, when complete, will understand what we want, understand the way the world works, and have the skills to carry out our commands. Okay, I'm scared. Um, I, I really doubt any of this, um, at least within the next 20 years, at least. Um, the long-term total addressable market is the biggest one that's ever existed in the history of business and technology, which is the labor market. Oh, nothing grandiose about these dreams. Uh, good luck. Uh, uh, sorry, the, the statement continues. It's all of these things we want done. All of the things that we want done, folks, are going to be done by this one robot. I'm sure that there isn't any impact it's going to have on, uh, I don't know, life. Um, if the ultra wealthy can just buy a robot that does all of the labor, what are all of us humans going to do? We're marching steadfast towards the, you know, um, the Butlerian Jihad from Dune <laughs> thinking machines that can do everything that humans do 
means that you don't need humans. I guess, uh, and this is one of the things, the, the fine motor skills, usually a bot is developed that has the ability to, you know, pick and do a, a task, even if it is ultra fine, you know, like creating the connections uh, between a CPU uh, and its circuitry, it can sometimes be just uh, atomically thin um, lines uh, wires and only a robot can do the kind of welding of the part from one soldering um, from one point to another. Um, but if a robot has the manual dexterity, actual fingers, the obs observation skills to, to respond to a diverse condition, uh, then a robot could do surgery. A robot can do welding. A robot can do everything. And it doesn't take a specialized piece of equipment. It's why I talk to people about this stuff and tell them, hey, you know, don't think about just the gig. Think about five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. When I first got started in technology, um, <laughs> it was, well, things were like steam powered back then. But um, the fact remains that we've gone from uh, 100 baud modems to um, multi gigabit uh, symmetric internet connections, instantaneous broadcasting of video and audio, a telepresence that has near imperceivable lag, um, at least until you get to broadcast. But um, anything that is a high enough tech, you, it basically appears as magic, right? That's the saying. Um, this kind of a robot is even hinting at the whole Terminator kind of concept. Um, right now, I would say that this is hedging towards the uncanny valley um, in terms of what people will accept, except that it doesn't have a real face. So we're more inclined to accept this kind of a thing. But what is it going to do to the actual labor market? who is going to be impacted negatively by this um, again when a billionaire can just buy a thousand of these and produce they don't need the humans that are going to be complaining about salary health care uh, wanting to have a birthday all of the social aspects of it because a business doesn't need the social aspects if it's making somebody filthy rich um, because again i'll say it and i'll say it again and again as a person becomes more and more wealthy, they become more and more sociopathic. They become less inclined to give a shit about what humanity says about them. Um, and I've been told by more than one millionaire that they'd rather have the money than friends. Um, because money, you can buy friends with money, essentially, and money doesn't let you down. Um, and I, I wish I was kidding about that state, those statements, they have come from several people. Um, and it's, it's kind of freaky. So at any rate, let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in, uh, hometown daily. Again, uh, FBI brings down massive botnet that infected more than 700,000 computers. The U S government just helped dismantle a massive network of computers infected with one of the world's most notorious pieces of malware. According to the FBI, a multinational effort led by the U S took down, uh, 
Quackbot. Um, a malware that uh, made its way into over 700,000 computers around the globe. Um, if you don't know what a botnet is, a botnet is basically a series of computers that are under the control of at least one individual, but they all work in unison to execute some action. Um, so flood a network, uh, run uh, crypto uh, uh, currency mining, um, gather up intelligence about a person's computer and everything associated with them. Um, and then send it off somewhere. So uh, essentially they learned enough about what the Quackbot, it might be Quackbot or Cackbot, um, uninstall itself is what the deck statement says. Emma Roth over at The Verge uh, put the article together. Um, according to the FBI, a multinational effort led to the U.S. taking down this botnet. 700,000 computers is estimated. I don't know if that's the actual totality, but once the command and control computers are taken offline, it's pretty typical that a botnet um, is no longer um, operational fully um, unless they've uh, installed a command and control bot somewhere else and have the ability to fail over to another controller. Um, Quackbot infects uh, their computer uh, which then becomes part of a botnet or a network of infected computers controlled by remote or yeah by hackers remotely uh, from there bad actors can install additional malware on their computer uh, victims computers uh, such as ransomware um, let's see here I, i'm not quite sure what all they ended up doing um compromised co uh, credentials can be found in have i been pwned um, or owned. Um, that's the lead speak for being owned. And if you've been owned, that basically means your information is out there. Um, one side note is if you have been compromised, consider yourself compromised in totality. Don't just assume, well, you know, I removed the malware from my computer. Everything's fine. You should be changing all of your passwords, wipe your computer clean, um, reinstall everything um, from local because if the cloud actually pushed the compromised files over in a backup then you could open up another infected file um, you have to be very very careful from that point on as you import files manually onto your local system um, unless the security apparatus for where you store your files actually uh, does analysis um, to check for malware remotely um anyway you should be very concerned about the breadth and depth of your compromise because it's pretty typical that a person is compromised for a considerable amount of time before the people who are doing it are bored enough and have felt like they've gotten enough to the point where they make their presence known if it's a you know a long-term pervasive hack um, then again, it could be somebody that just ran a script and compromised your computer because you have, um, zero security. You really should get a software firewall. You really should get malware. Um, and windows built in native stuff isn't necessarily enough. Um, I don't use it all by itself. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. 
700,000 computers compromised, finally taken down by FBI and other authorities around the world. Let's go. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Uh, Sushi-loving Japan scrambles to save its fishing industry as oceans heat up. I don't really like the tone of that title. I, I, don't, I don't know why. It, it makes me feel weird, but... Uh, I titled this one in our section, but sushi is the rice. Um, sashimi is the actual fish. Um, and so <laughs> I was going to say uh, pre-cooked sushi, but sushi is raw fish, so it lost its luster. But anyway, let's just go over to the article. <laughs> Stephanie Yang over at uh, Los Angeles Times put this article together, and it was posted on fizz.org. The tiny black larva that attached to the shells will be harvested from the salty lagoon in about 18 months as full-grown oysters. But first, they have to survive an increasingly hostile marine environment that in recent years has withered production and rattled fishermen around the country. Pretty much around the world, fishermen are concerned about the rise in temperatures of the oceans. Um, oyster farming has a history of more than 100 years, but this is the first time I've observed this much death, says Tarada64. A particularly devastating season three years ago yielded only one-tenth his usual intake. One critical threat is warmer waters, which stunt the growth of oysters and other aquatic organisms as oxygen levels decline. The uh, average temperature of the ocean's um, reached a record high in August, according to the U.S. Well, NOAA, um, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, with uh, heat waves pushing some areas near 100 degrees this summer off the coast of Florida, where a hurricane. Um, what did, what was it, what's her name again? Uh, I just forgot. Idalia, right? Idalia, yeah. So. Adalia is going to be hitting, it's going to be picking up steam as it approaches the Florida coastline um, because of these warmer and increasingly warming temperatures. Um, and if it survives, man, this thing is going to be crazy. If it survives as a hurricane force wind uh, over Florida and makes itself, makes um, way back onto warmer temperatures, it'll pick up steam again as it goes running up the coastline as hurricanes do on the east coast um that has not that's just a tertiary thing to this but it's connected because warm temperatures cause all kinds of pain and suffering um one of the things that i give a demonstration of this about how warm temperatures are basically the worst possible thing to happen um because it's very difficult to recover from warmer temperatures warming temperatures or heat in general um, whereas when you are cold you can warm up pretty easy you just cover yourself up you can't cool easily <laughs> um, it's not an option uh, so at any rate um, in 2021 japan's fishing and aquaculture industry generated about 9.5 billion dollars that year the ministry of agriculture for forestry and fisheries launched a plan to restore fishery production back to 2010 levels of 4.44 million tons by 2030 and boost breeding of new and strategic species such as grouper and yellowtail um 
The uh, ministry's fishery agency said that it would also aim to offset the impact of climate change by promoting the electrification of the fishing vehicles, uh, the farming of species with higher heat tolerance, and the development of strategies to help juvenile salmon survive harsher environments. Uh, this is all breeding and manipulation of the food supply uh, to make it more robust. So eh, we don't know what the long-term ramifications are really we take a stab at it but uh, i don't know sometimes we kind of just fall on our face um and so they kind of say this you know the ecosystem is very complicated there's not enough evidence to prove this correlation which they talk about food chain hesitant to point to global heating and warming waters as the sole cause of dwindling catches yeah i can I, i'm willing to accept it more than any other uh, rationale for why things are dying off and while the why there are algae blooms uh, popping up that are toxic and making various animals go crazy anyway there's a lot more to this article um, but essentially um, fish are being impacted by warming temperatures and by proxy all of us uh, humans who eat fish quite a lot are going to be impacted that's going to translate primarily into scarcity which is going to raise prices dramatically um, and i've got another story that is a knock-on effect of changes not necessarily ones that we can attribute to climate change i'm saying that it might be part and parcel to it but um the long term will have to show what's really happening you'll hear about inflation um but before inflation even existed i.e 2019 i mean it existed but it wasn't so apparent it wasn't so abrupt um i was told a long time i was told in early 2019 maybe late 2018 damn now it's getting so far back that i'm starting to rem uh, forget when it was actually said to me um, but the era of cheap food is over. Um, and when things like this start impacting the food supply, uh, that scarcity leads to rising prices. And then couple it with inflation and you have basically a one-two punch that makes things unavailable to the average person. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in the continuity report why toto the dog was paid more money than several human actors for the wizard of oz wage disparity in hollywood especially with the gender pay gap is an ongoing concern but in the case of the wizard of oz toto the dog was made um or made more than some of the human actors the wizard of oz is a timeless masterpiece brimming with imagination and whimsy and almost killing a couple of actors um which boasts an ensemble of cherished characters Judy Garland's captivating portrayal of uh, Dorothy Gale, who embarks on a journey to find her way home from uh, our with her loyal companion, Toto. So let's just go over to Screen Rant. Emma Wagner um, put the article together. And um, let's see. While Terry's earnings, Terry the dog, who played Toto in The Wizard of Oz, was paid $125 a week, more than some actors on the set. Um, while... Uh, 
Terry's earnings surpassed some actors. Judy Garland, who played Dorothy, made more than $500 a week. The Munchkin, Munchkin actors, despite singing, dancing, and taking on multiple roles, earned less than Toto. Well, a dancing or a, a, a dog that's been trained is more than just the dog. It's the, the trainer as well. Um, and so scarcity and the desire to have a particular dog means that they can demand a, a higher price. Um, that's kind of supply and demand. I don't know if y'all can hear that music. It's pretty loud in my monitor. Um, anyway, within the lineup, the Wizard of Oz stands out uh, due to its delightful songs, captivating characters, and the utilization of Technicolor technology. Uh, however, there are many controversies surrounding the Wizard of Oz, and I'll let you, they actually have a typo in here, Lynn including. Anyway, um, you can follow the link. Let me see, how far back am I? Uh, I'm just two links back. Sorry, folks. There you go, into the chat. Dunk. And we'll throw this one in there. Boop. And there we go. So Toto was paid $125 a week for The Wizard of Oz. So it translates into $2,729.38 today. Wow. Wow. That's not bad. Not bad scratch for a dog. So... We won't go into all the rest of this, but at any rate, um, there you go. If you want to make some good money, teach a dog to be an actor. Although, I don't know. Are they on strike too? Hmm. You know, they don't just work for kibble. Uh, the next article's over in Hometown Daily. U.S. Copyright Office wants to hear from people or what people think about AI and copyright. As announced in the regist Federal Register, the agency wants to answer three main questions. How AI models should use copyrighted data in training, whether uh, AI-generated material can be copyrighted even without a human involved, and how copyright uh, liability would work with AI um, it also wants comments around AI possibly violating publicity rights, but noted these are not technically copyright issues. Yeah. So the article was written by Amelia David over at TheVerge.com. The deck statement says the agency is opening the public comment period on August 30th. So tomorrow, folks, get ready and then go over to the U.S. Copyright Office. I don't know if there's a link already in here. It just says announced in the Federal Register. So if you do a search um, for a U.S. Copyright Office Federal Register or follow the link through hometown over to this article, um, you'll be able to um, make your voice heard. Uh, the copyright status of AI training data and the output of generative AI tools has become a hot topic for politicians, artists, authors, and even civil rights groups, making it a potential testing ground for uh, coming AI regulation. The Copyright Office says that over the past several years, the office has begun to receive applications to register works containing AI-generated material. It may use the comments to inform how it decides to grant copyright in the future. Uh, the Copyright Office was involved in a lawsuit last year after it refused to grant Stephen Thaler uh, rights to an image created by an AI platform of their own creation, which is kind of like a person, in my estimation, 
creating a camera to take a picture. Apparently, um, taking a picture is okay, even if you're not the one that created the camera. But creating an AI that generates a picture is not at parity. I think it. I think their decision was a little bit narrow-minded about it. Uh, but anyway, earlier this month, the Washington, D.C. Uh, court uh, sided with the U.S. Copyright Office in the case, stating copyright has never been handed to any work without a human involved, but it would not exist without a human involved. Um, however you want to extrapolate from that. Um, three artists sue generative AI art platform Stable Diffusion in Midjourney and the art website DeviantArt for allegedly taking their art without consent and using it to train AI models. Comedian Sarah Silverman and authors Christopher Golden and Richard Cadry filed their own legal action against OpenAI and Meta for allegedly using their books to help improve ChatGPT and Llama. Um, this was actually somewhat egregious. It, it, the context is what matters a lot to me. Um, but they're saying that the book was, their books were taken and trained um, but it's more like a meta-analysis. They they grab that content, parse it, and then if somebody asks a question that's related to the material, it'll summarize or, in some cases, repeat segments of it. But as far as I know, it won't do just whole-scale copying and regurgitation in its entirety. Now, I haven't found the the right script that would draw that out of an AI. Um, but I'm sure it's possible if it's trained and then maybe there is a way to tell the AI, I want you to have a photographic memory and regurgitate uh, the three paragraphs that start chapter four of Sarah Silverman's book. Um, but it was really largely a summary of the book. Um, and to me, I want the world's knowledge categorized in some way because there's no way for a person in the future, <laughs> these things fall out of print and are lost to the four winds. Um, and I don't think that a, a few people who happen to just grab a book off the shelf and stick it in their basement um, 150 years later somebody is digging in what is now their backyard and they find this pile of books buried in a room that was buried under a bunch of soil you know our archaeological dig shows up and they find Sarah Silverman's book um, but it but because of fear of generative AI we don't have a digital representation of that book anymore uh, because it might get cloned somewhere it might get read somewhere um i just don't want it all to go away and i want to be able on demand to reach back in time and find at least some semblance of information about you know, everything i i want technology to be you know the elephant that never forgets good or bad or indifferent you know if you got to cope with the sociological impact of everything being remembered then 
you know, uh, Streisand effect away, I suppose. But um, I, I don't want history to be lost and context to be lost about how we ended up where we are simply because AI is causing someone to be afraid of their particular content. Um, when there's a whole lot of really bad stuff going on in the world, um, I don't think that AI, AI needs to be constrained, but treated as a tool, not as the end solution. Um, but a lot of people are treating it that way. And I think business is leaning into that because that's what people want. Make people want something else. Um, okay. So let's keep on going. You can go and yell at uh, the U.S. Copyright Office about AI here starting tomorrow. Uh, this next article is over in uh, the Hatch Ideas channel, which is a, a channel all about business transformation, uh, intellectual property, pivoting, etc. Um, still hasn't launched, but I only have so much time and I would love to be able to dedicate more time to uh, Town. A Subway's Flying Restaurant will serve sandwiches a thousand feet in the air. How to book your free ride. So Subway is taking itself to the Skyway. It has a, to me, it's a gross looking balloon <laughs> blimp. Um, but it's, I guess, a, is this a trademark infringement for blimpy? Because it's a blimp. Is it electric powered? So then it would be a blimpy hmm, or a blimpy V. Anyway, Nicholas Vega over at CNBC.com's section called Make It put this article together. Subway has moved on from $5 footlongs to 180-foot airships. The sandwich chain, which recently offered a promotion tempting fans with a lifetime supply of sandwiches, if they legally change their name to Subway, is continuing to push the envelope as it advertises its re revamped menu. I have not had Subway in goodness i'd say six years maybe seven yeah i, I don't remember when i left yeah probably about that long uh, been quite a while um the brand's latest move is dubbed subway in the sky and is an is a 180 foot blimp that will carry diners into the air to try the chain sandwiches um, so the blimp is going to be in Kansas City, Missouri, Orlando, Florida, and uh, Miami. It says Miami area, so I don't know. Maybe strong winds are just going to blow it all around Miami. Um, it's supposed to climb to 1,000 feet, and then you can enjoy your sandwiches. Um, flights will take place between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m., each trip lasting about 30 minutes. Might be fun. If, nobody, if you've never been on a blimp before, it'll probably be pretty exciting can't say much about the food but i guess we'll have to try it um i'm not gonna be near florida or missouri so marwatt is not gonna be doing this hey the uh next article is over in technology today panic's first game showcase highlights five deliciously weird titles Panic is an odd little company. It started out in the late 1990s as an app developer. I actually have uh, at least one of their apps um, from that era. And uh, in 2016, it pivoted to video game publishing with Firewatch, followed by Untitled Goose Game in 2019. So if you've never heard of Untitled Goose Game, now you know, who, or 
<laughs> if you've never heard of Panic, then now you know uh, who Panic is. They're the developers of Untitled Goose Game, which went viral and, and uh, gained them some fame. Both of these were breakout indie hits, um, resulting in significant success for the developers and Panic itself. And then in 2022, Panic debuted Playdate, a tiny yellow game console with a crank on the side and a monochromatic display. Playdate was a verified hit and its library is still being updated today. Um, so this article is over at Engadget.com. Jessica Condit is the uh, author of this article. Uh, their deck statement says, plus the teams behind Far and Untitled Goose Game are cooking up new projects. Um, they had their, they had a, they had their game showcase, but I missed it. Um, let's see what all they, uh, talked about here. Now it's mid 2023 panic unveiled a fresh slate of projects. It's publishing in its first ever game showcase panic showed off five games and tease titles from the makers of far changing tides, Okomotive, uh, and the team behind untitled goose game house house. Um, I guess newer play with your food. Uh, thank goodness you're here is another one. Arco is another, and um, Time Flies, which I've always thought is funny because whenever I say Time Flies, I think about Time Flies, which are uh, the reason why you can never hit a fly is because they actually have the ability to travel through time. Um, anyway, I, I won't go into each of these articles or each of these games. I'll let you um, head on over there. Let me play catch up real quick. I think like every two uh, is when I end up going back in, in time um, to post the links to the articles over in hometown. So let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. A judge ruled Burger King can be sued for exaggerating the size of its Whoppers. If you didn't notice, there's a lot of food-related lawsuits. Um, and uh, one of the issues that I have with this is the reason why you're seeing lawsuits about marketing-based messaging for food is because now people are realizing that what you are seeing and what you are getting are vastly different. And so the perceived value is not the same. You're still getting the $2.99 crap burger, uh, but you're being charged $5.50. Hello, Z. Welcome to the show. It's just me today. Um, so seeing things like uh, Buffalo Wild Wings being sued for false advertising, that what they're what you are getting there is not what is being portrayed. It's not actually wings. It's actually just kind of whatever breast meat from a chicken. Um, Burger King is being sued. Wendy's is being sued. McDonald's is being sued, all based on the marketing and what they say you're getting when it isn't what you're really getting. Um, and in this article, they actually, uh, Diego Lasart uh, over at qz.com, quartz.com. Um, actually, it's qz.com, not quartz.com. I haven't been to quartz.com. Anyway, Burger King lost its bid to dismiss a lawsuit that accused the burger joint of exaggerating the size of its popular Whopper offering. And I think it's really all pent-up anxiety about 
um, the prices. So when I saw this, I'm like, yeah, I know for a fact that prices are going higher and higher. And so I decided to dig a little bit. Um, and so in 2019, a Big Mac from, sorry, not 2019, in 2001, a Big Mac from uh, McDonald's was $2.29. Um, so granted, this is a jump, right? But still, it's a 100% increase because now the Big Mac is $4.59 um, in 20 years. So you go, okay, well, I must have gotten, there, there must be something there, but it's purely inflation, supply and demand, and AKA greed. Um, and they have the data that I have has combos, um, where it's gone up, uh, over a hundred percent in price. Some things have gone up 113%. Um, and then this is 2020. And so the other day, um, I, I went through a fast food place outside of hometown and got food in for three people. Um, and not everybody getting meals, um, we're, we're talking close to $40, um, worth of food. And it was shocking. So the prices went up from 21, uh, 2021 to 2022, um, 10% and at Burger King, 21% across 39 major cities. So the price for fast food has gone up to the point where perceived value is no longer at play here. People are being, are scrutinizing the benefit of fast food for their dollar and they're not buying it anymore. They're basically demanding, well, if that's what it looks like, then that's what I should be getting. And you're never getting that. Um, I had a discussion with a, the owner of a subway shop um, outside of hometown again. And, uh, I wish I was kidding. They said, yeah, we can actually make it look like that, but we would spend too much time uh, to make it cost effective. And I said, there's no way in hell you can make your production the same level of quality as the marketing. You'll never do it. Um, and, uh, just through discussion, they capitulated. They were like, yeah, we can do it. But, and we had to agree to disagree on most of that context, spend time and I can make it look just like marketing uh, because I kept on telling them, you know, that the lettuce isn't real lettuce. The, the, the cheese isn't real cheese. All of the marketing is kind of fake. It's all smoke and mirrors. Um, and they eventually capitulated and said, yeah, they could make it close. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Anyway, um, so all of these lawsuits are basically saying we're done with your shit. We want what you say we're supposed to be getting. But this particular lawsuit amps it up even more so by saying that Burger King is advertising their burgers um, as being a certain size, but the marketing is 33% larger than what people are actually getting. Um, and I didn't read uh, anywhere about how they actually extrapolated that from the marketing material, um, but they basically refer to it as overstated menu items. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, oh, it says Burger King depicts its burgers looking 35% larger than they actually are. 
The suit also claims that in reality, Whoppers have less than half the meat as advertised. Um, so yeah, there you go. Well, uh, in the, like McDonald's, it's different items, but like a quarter pounder is pre-cooked quarter pound patties. They actually call them four up and 10 up. I think it is. And, um, essentially we're being given a bunch of really great photos and that's what we're purchasing but that's not what we're getting where we typically get stuff that looks like it was run over by a tank. Um, anyway, let's keep on hustling. We've got three more articles. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. People love their trees more than their neighbors. I, I titled this one hugging trees instead of neighbors. Um, yeah, I, I can see, <laughs> you know, a tree doesn't, park across your driveway uh, because they're having a party. Not that that's ever happened to me, but uh, I don't have that baggage. Um, people love their trees more than their neighbors, says survey. Uh, twice as many people, 16%, say that they have a closer relationship with their trees than their neighbors, 7%, according to <laughs> new research. <laughs> no, actually, I've never had anybody um, like long-term block a, a driveway uh, z asks are you sure <laughs> i might have a little baggage um so this article's over at uh, fizz.org university of derby uh, the university of derby has today revealed the results of a study of uh, more than 1800 adults investigating the importance of trees it's actually a survey not a study i have to be accurate and precise um investigating the importance of trees and the environment on people's daily lives and the impact on their well-being. Commenting on the findings, Miles Richardson, professor of human factors and nature correct, uh, connectedness, not correctedness, connectedness at the University of Derby said, centuries of mass farming, industrialization, roads, railways, and urban expansion have resulted in the UK becoming one of the most deforested nations in Europe with, uh, or sorry, so we were surprised to find that so many people felt so connected to trees. Continuing the quote, half of the people who took part in the survey told us that they have a favorite tree with 81% noticing trees wherever they go and over 90% agreeing trees are enjoyed by children. <laughs> uh, this, is, <laughs> this is fundamental research. I mean, it's interesting, but... <laughs> PSA folks, <laughs> trees are enjoyed by children. <laughs> Z says liking trees is childish. Yes, confirmed. You are a child if you like trees. I don't know if that's how we should connect the dots, but we'll go with it. More than 1800 residents of the National and Mersey Forest and Recon Beacons National Park took part in the YouGov survey in October 2022 designed and commissioned by the University of Derby. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it also revealed that awareness of the importance of trees to the environment is high. More than 85% of respondents agreed that trees create better air quality, 94%, sustain wildlife, 
prevent flooding and erosion 86%, and this should all be no shit news at 9.49 p.m. But okay, at least we now we have the data point. Nearly all respondents agreed with at least one of these statements, which is really pushing <laughs> the whole stats. Uh, I, I can control my stats, so I can control the messaging. Oh, for crying out loud, these should all be givens. I don't know if the, if I'm coming across cynical, but so uh, everybody loves to uh, rest under a tree. Um, overall respondents felt that urban development presented the greatest threat to trees higher than climate change, storms and exotic or new diseases and pests. So yeah, urban development is going to chop down trees, folks. That too. Um, I don't know. I, I am a really big fan of stats and data. Um, but wow. Next up at 11, I'm going to run a survey to find out how many people are aware that the sky tends to be blue. The next article is over in the wanted channel. I fix it tears down a McDonald's ice cream machine and demands DMCA exemption for it. McDonald's soft serve ice cream uh, machines are regularly broken, and it's not just your perception. I've actually seen a video regarding this, um, and it's not mechanical in nature as to why it's always broken down. <laughs> um, public knowledge and iFixit want the right to repair commercial uh, kitchen gear, and I agree, uh, particularly in this case. Uh, I. I don't have hold on a second let me um let me go back and grab these articles and throw them into the chat so that you can follow them if you are in chat um dun 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 and here's the i fix it one so you can go over to youtube before I get into it, so it's an article over at ArsTechnica.com. Kevin Purdy is the author. Um, and uh, there's a picture basically showing the ice cream machine. Um, but all of the mechanics of this isn't the reason why it, it's always broken down. Uh, but I'll get into it because um, I don't know if they're going to talk about who you really should be looking at, which is a video that's on YouTube. If you do a search for um basically the the mcdonald's ice cream machine just do that search and you'll pull up videos about it um it says here mcdonald's soft serve ice cream machines are regularly broken it's not just your perception when repair vendor and advocate i fix it was filming a video about the topic it checked tracking map mcbroken and found that 34 percent of the machines in the state of new york were reported inoperable as the author writes the article, the nationwide number of broken machines is just above 14%. So um, this, this is an iFixit uh, video that is linked in the article, which makes sense. But there is another article out there. Um, and I, I'm let me scan real quick and see if it's actually in here. Yeah, I don't really see it. Um, in principle, copyright should not prevent anyone from repairing a device they own, regardless of whether the device is a consumer uh, item or a commercial one, says Kathleen Burke, policy counsel at Public Knowledge. 
um, said in a statement, the fact that this principle is not already embedded permanently into law demonstrates that our copyright system is as McBroken as the average McDonald's ice cream machine. And they, this was a, there's a linked article or actually the website is linked to McBroken. Um, Z says, uh, we were just talking about how this has become a meme in the U S in dunks stream a couple of days ago. Really? Huh? It must've been during one of the periods where, where, because dunk streams, uh, dunk star, if you've never been there, um, go to twitch.tv slash dunk star D U N C S T A R. Um, great stream, uh, always uh, laughs, always good-natured ribbing in the community, always constructive uh, when somebody asks a question or needs help in a game, uh, very embracing community. So uh, you can't go wrong uh, over at Dunkstars. Um, and they have a co-host, Timeless underscore EXE, um, uh, which is uh, equally entertaining and uh, fun to hang out in their chat. And together they um, stream uh, over at dunk stars. So, um, so Z says that they were talking about this and that it's become a meme in the U S. Um, but it's, what's really interesting about this. It, well, first off that people are talking around the world about McDonald's ice cream machines. I find that really fascinating. Um, but the thing about this is so there is a piece of software that you can use that provides more information uh, to owners of this machine, but copyright prevented the developer of that USB key from deploying it um, because it would circumvent security, arguably. So like it, if you want to protect your item from somebody looking at it, then you put a little bit of security in there because then it's suddenly a DMCA crime. Someone said, does anyone live in a county where the McFlurry machine works? And everyone was like, no, those are a myth. Um, yeah, so I don't know if anybody talked about it, but the reason why it fails is because the software is so exact that one little bit out of alignment with its specs shuts the machine down and it's so laborious to remedy the fail point and it's so cryptic that owners some owners would rather just not screw around with it they'll just leave it turned off and say that it's broken it doesn't really break so much as it doesn't fall within its specification to provide the soft serve um, adequately and reliably so the moment it falls out of alignment it shuts down throws a cryptic error message doesn't tells you doesn't really tell you what's going on and so you have to call a service center and that service center charges like $800 an hour to send a tech out. Um, and I don't know the, the exact numbers at this point because it's been several years since I uh, watched the videos and read about this in a different context. Um, but I fix it picking up this is moving it into like a commercial space and picking a fight with a very big company by the way, that company, the, there's a company that produced the ice cream machines and it, it's part of the licensing terms at the McDonald's that nobody else can mess around with these ice cream machines. You have to use the licensed vendor 
and the licensed vendor is the one that's charging $800 and they're the ones that created that product. So it's basically <laughs> eating its own tail. You know, it's very nepotistic. You can't get some third party to come and fix it. Um, my understanding is it's part of the contract uh, that store owners, restaurant owners um, buy into. Um, so it says here, one tiny company had previously attempted to address the glut of broken, indecipherable tailor machines and was duly ostracized for its efforts. The Kitsch, based on a Raspberry Pi, offered McDonald's franchises insight into their both their machines' operations and fa failures. It could provide override locks that prevent the machine from working due to non-critical errors, um, but it would literally shut down uh, at the slightest you know, misdirection of wind through the machine, apparently. A tailor which reportedly has an exclusive contract with the McDonald's for maintenance of its machines moved quickly to try to make use of the Kitsch, a contract-voiding franchise-ending issue, and the saga, as reported by Wired, has taken a few intriguing turns, including Taylor's creation of a competing product, revealing discovery emails, and $900 million Kitsch lawsuit. So this includes a small paragraph about it, uh, but the fight is on because iFixit and Public Knowledge are working together to provide a means of taking apart this machine and providing a serviceability report. Um, so good on them. I say if you, the, the thing about this is there is a, a point where even I would sit there and say, I don't know if I want people messing around with even the equipment that they own, wherein it's integrated into a network of devices that could negatively impact the rest of the devices. Um, I have a problem with it, right? Um, have we brushed up against that yet? Nope. I have yet to find a, an issue with a, the owner of a device working on their device. <laughs> Um, but I foresee a time where things are so interconnected that when one person messes with their machine, it has the potential of damaging other devices, similar to like these computers that have been compromised by a botnet. All of those computers have the potential of harming other computers that they're connected to. That's just a side discussion. We can talk about that another time. But in this issue, this is just some disconnected device sitting on a table somewhere in a McDonald's for crying out loud. Why is it so damn protected from being serviced by a third party? The liability is still on that company, that individual, that, that restaurant. If somebody gets sick and somebody says, Oh, McDonald's ice cream machine made them sick. It's that one machine. Um, so, uh, if they're trying to protect their brand from some knock-on effect of hundreds of ice cream machines making people sick because people have circumvented the tailor uh, protected device, um, that seems like it would be the only legal um, direction that they could go, that they're trying to protect their brand. But the price to repair these things is outrageous. Um, so we'll see, we'll monitor this. They want to get a DMCA exemption because it's informative, it's transformative. 
Um, and it's to the benefit of the consumer, but I'm sure that Taylor is arguing that it has business practice protections um, and it circumvents security of the device. Um, so we'll see how this fares. Um, as it goes on, I'm sure we will be able to talk about it. Um, that said, let's keep on going. We got one more article. This one is gonna be interesting because of the timing. Airbnb's cancellation rule sparked backlash during Hurricane Adalia. The company's policy includes mention of Florida and hurricanes, but also government-backed emergency or government-acknowledged emergencies. Um, Nick Mordawanik is the author of this article over at Newsweek.com. Um, the western coast of Florida sits in the eye of the storm, expected to ravage multiple cities with the predicted winds exceeding 110 miles per hour. I'm not sure what it is right now. I know that it was a Category 2 um before the show i don't know what's going on sometime before the show i don't remember when i last looked at it um but they say here the potential category three hurricane is predicted to head northeast and potentially impact parts of georgia south carolina north carolina before subsiding but it's going to roll entirely across the the middle of florida um, the storm's presence in the Sunshine State could be minimal, but impactful as rising water. It says presence in the Sunshine State could be minimal, but impactful. It's on the inside. It's in the Gulf side of Florida, and it's going to wander its way across the middle of Florida. Um, I've actually been part of a, a, a group that did this thing called an eco challenge where you run, bike and swim Um and uh, uh, paddle from one side to the other. And um, yeah, that's not that's not just a small part of Florida. This thing's gonna r roll across as a category two um, because it's, the water in the Gulf is very, very warm right now. And it's just gonna roll across Florida and then and dissipate somewhat, but it has the potential of regaining strength as it pops out onto the other side of Florida and returns to warm water. Um, and that's when it'll be a bigger problem for all the rest of these states. Um, this has the knock-on effect of uh, EVs catching on fire. Um, hurricane uh, force winds, sea level storm surge rising, EVs actually short-circuited. There were nine fires in the last hurricane. I wouldn't be surprised that this causes the same type of thing. Um, but people are going to sit there and cancel their plans to go to their B&B. So it says, can you believe Airbnb's policy does not allow you to cancel or modify your reservation due to a hurricane causing the flight to be canceled due to shutting down? Um, and uh, Airbnb has what it calls an extenuating circumstances policy, which according to the company explains how cancellations are handled when unforeseen events beyond the control arise after booking and make it impracticable or, or impracticable um, or illegal to complete your reservation. The policy was in effect for the COVID-19 pandemic until May 31st, 2022. So a list of covered events on its website include government declared local and national emergencies in addition to natural disasters, acts of God, large-scale outages of essential utilities, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, and other severe and abnormal weather events. However, Airbnb includes a caveat. 
weather or natural conditions common in a particular location do not meet the criteria for extenuating circumstances. <laughs> they specifically mention hurricanes occurring in Florida during the hurricane season, which they note occurs annually between June and November. So, oh, and that's funny. The next paragraph actually starts out with, so... <laughs> Um, you can be instructed by authorities to evacuate a hurricane zone, but Airbnb won't refund you for the extra nights. Um, seems surprising and off-brand to prioritize profits over guest safety. Well, come on now. That's not how you become a billionaire. You, uh, you basically compromise everybody um, if it makes fiduciary sense. Um, so there are tweets um, all over the place talking about this. But essentially, uh, unless you raise hell or lower heaven or whatever it is that you can do to uh, draw attention to your particular plight in the light of a hurricane coming at you, you're not going to get your money back from Airbnb. Um, and they may have enough um, confidence that regardless of your particular situation, they'll still make enough money. Uh, even if you rant and rave and, and say that you're never going to use Airbnb, let's treat Airbnb kind of like people treat Reddit. You'll be back. Why? Because Airbnb solves a problem for you um, or provides some benefit or whatever you want to call it. You'll be back. Oh, that's interesting. The very next paragraph says one Reddit poster wrote that they were scheduled to fly from Boston to Tampa on Wednesday morning as part of the stay that concluded Sunday. Uh, they wrote that their flight was canceled outright and that Airbnb owner would refund their money during mandatory evacuation periods, but that the individual would have to pay when the order was lifted. Um, some questions whether some questioned whether Airbnb's policy could be misconstrued by some users in that while hurricanes are customary in Florida, the policy also mentions government-issued emergencies and orders that citizens are supposed to follow the, uh, in these types of emergencies. So there's going to be some context to um, Airbnb saying that, yay or nay, you're going to get your money back. I wonder what, what's really going to happen, how this is all going to shake out. Um, but we'll find out as people... Uh, deal with the ramifications of the hurricane because it's coming now um at any rate that's it for tonight folks um we always bring you back to the very front uh door of hometown back to main street that's the front page mash that logo and we get a whole bunch of new articles um uh there's still a lot of political news that's largely because of stuff going on <laughs> Um, I try to avoid as much of that as possible, but it is part and parcel to existence. Hey Z, you're going to take off. Thanks for hanging out. Really do appreciate your time. Um, I will probably be over in Dunkstar's channel a little bit later, but I'm telling you and everybody else out there, I'm going to be playing Starfield um, probably as much as possible. Uh, after it drops and um, oh it's going to be uh, timelesses okay so everybody go over to uh, twitch.tv slash timeless underscore exe and that's where um, 
Timeless will be streaming today. The co-host over at Dunk Stars. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be streaming um, Starfield uh, as much as humanly possible. Um, we always do the show, though. So at 9 p.m., uh, probably depending on when Starfield drops, I will be um, playing Starfield right up until about an hour before um, the 9 p.m. show of uh, hometown daily we do the show regardless um i don't know if people are going to be upset by that kind of a thing um but it is part of uh how i do it's part of my existence i use hometown um to gather news and so i, I love talking about it it's very dynamic and and um kind of feeds my brain so i'll be streaming starfield as long as it doesn't suck uh, we'll find out within the first five minutes, I'm sure. Um, but then I'm going to be um, streaming Starfield as much as humanly possible um, with between 9 uh, to 10 or 9 to 11 will be uh, hometown daily um, every day. So that was one of the deals that I made with myself to start up hometown and we'll continue it into the future. Okay. Anyway. Thanks, Z. See you in a little bit. Um, if you are in chat, thanks for lurking. Um, and uh, come on back tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern, every day. And go over to YouTube, like, follow, subscribe. Don't forget to follow me here. Us, uh, the AI is um, uh, rebooting. And um, there's the podcast. Go and leave a review, folks. That would be awesome over at Apple Podcasts. That's it. I'm out of here. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye, Z.